Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 8 today. And we deal with the Messiah, the healer. The Messiah, the healer. It is a great manifestation of the power of God. We had the words of God, chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. If only but for words, the crowds would have dissipated, and the Pharisees may have stepped in and fulfilled exactly what they wanted to do with this man called Jesus. He would have been vulnerable at his very life. Many would have claimed him to be completely insane. The man is a bit touched. For what he claimed in 5, 6, and 7 on that Sermon on the Mount was no less than heresy except for one great fact. Oh, you see, the Pharisees would say, he goes beyond the word of God as though he has authority of God. The part they didn't understand was, he is God. And the Bible says he's the word. He's the word. He's the word manifest in flesh. He's the spokesman for God Almighty. So all of those things that were brought to our attention in 5, 6, and 7, it's because he is the word. We have the Beatitudes. They cut across the grain of our own human thinking. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that are hunger and, and, and hunger and thirst. And, and so this cuts against what we would say is good sound wisdom. Because what good sound wisdom in, in the world is, is you need to promote yourself. You need to elevate yourself in the, in the, in the eyes of others. And by elevating yourself in the eyes of others, oh, there's where you're going to gain true success. I don't think we're going to get our little manuals that they have out there just by the millions of them almost uh, on how to be a successful person. And you're going to get the, the Beatitudes that the Lord starts with. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he goes about dealing with the law itself. And, and that's the mind of God. And this is where the Pharisees said, well, he's overstepping his authority now. Surely he's overstepping his authority. Who does he think he is? <laughs> well, he speaks not here as son of man. He speaks here as son of God with the authority of God the Father. He is the spokesperson. And it isn't as though he went to the law and he said, well, you know, there's been no success 
in uh, uh, following this law so far, I've, I've handpicked the nation, I, I've given them all the advantages that they could possibly ever get, and yet they still could not hold to this law. The Gentile nations, they obviously had no chance of holding to this law. It's a failure. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just dummy this thing down? Now, I want you to notice what he did. What he did was he elevated it. For instead of it coming from the perspective of we as a human being, because we as a human being, when it says thou shalt not commit adultery, all we can do is go by the act. We can't dig into the intent of the heart. You'll see. But here the Lord Jesus Christ says, now I'm going to give you those commands and they're going to be from the perspective of God the Father. Thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you say in your heart, Raka, and that basically means you worthless person, you, in your heart, not out loud, nobody can hear it, God heard it. Oh, you see, his whole perspective on the law was from the eyes of God. This is what God sees. This is how far you failed in ever holding that law. And he amplifies it all. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. Wow. Wow. You see, that he amplifies the law is what he does. He doesn't sidestep the law. He actually amplifies the law. Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come to fulfill the law. You see, standing before him was the only human being ever alive that was going to take on the law, not only with the intent of man's perspective, but also from the intent of God's perspective, and he's going to defeat it all. Therefore, qualifying him to be the savior of the world. The Messiah. King. Messiah King. And so, we have our portion here, which really ends with this great verse in chapter 7 of 29. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So the, 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 the Pharisees came to the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, tell us, tell us, where, when does this kingdom come about? I want, I want to know. I want to know. And the Lord Jesus Christ said these words in Luke chapter 17, verse 21. You will say, look. There it is. For behold, the kingdom. And then he would say, For behold, the kingdom of God is in you. You see, they had the, 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 the uh, prospect 
of carrying out the kingdom of God right within their own hearts if they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, sent from God, that's what Messiah talks about, Messiah sent of God, they have the opt, the, the opportunity to carry out the kingdom on a daily basis right within their heart. What a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. If we but do that, everyone in here has that opportunity. When we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we can therefore walk and carry out on a daily basis the the kingdom of God. We then become ambassadors, spokesmen for the living God. Or we can, as I oftentimes do... Grumble and complain about the circumstances of life and all this didn't turn to my favor and all this went wrong and all this went wrong and the world looks in and they say, huh, the kingdom? It, 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 it doesn't, isn't perceived as the kingdom. They perceive it as no better than themselves. But if we carry out the kingdom, in our hearts. Oh, what a testimony we can be to the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Chapter 8 of um, Matthew, chapter 8, deals with the, the Messiah as the healer. And that is the validation of chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you take the first parts of Matthew, you're going to find a real nice outline. Chapter 1 through 4 is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 through 7 is the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 8 and 9 is then the power to validate who he is. Oh, Without that validation, they, they would have deemed him as an insane man. Someone who didn't have his marbles on straight. A bit touched up in the head. But he does validate it with some unbelievable power display in the healing of the individuals in which we will see at this time. Let's read, let's read down to verse number 17 as we go. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou, tell no one, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commands for the testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, There came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, that's always a good start. Both of them start that way, Lord. My servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I am come, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, thou hast believed. So be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed of devils, and he cast out the spirits and his word, uh, with his word, and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the Word of God, which is an absolute display of the power of the living God, thy blessed Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We see him as the Son of God this morning with power and healing in his wings. Oh, Father, we're so thankful that he is the one who is sent of God. We're thankful for the power displayed in order to validate the words spoken. And our Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came with the idea of redeeming mankind by hanging on a cross and dying for their sins. Our Father, help us now, we do pray. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And so we have this outline on the board, the evidence of the healing. Then we have the examples of his healing. And there are three examples that are given here, but there are more examples uh, as given uh, throughout Scripture. And then the extent of his healing, and that is in uh, verse number 16. And then the explanation of his healing, and that is in verse number 17. First of all, we have the evidence of his healing. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now I want you to notice back in chapter number 5. Chapter number 5 and verse number 1, it says, And seeing the multitude. Now we add an adjective. Great multitude. If he would not have validated what he was saying, there would have been no following. This word great multitude can, can, can be in the hundreds, but it was probably well into the thousands. Everyone from any corner of the earth wanted to get near this person because of what they heard as a testimony of what he was doing. He actually changed lives. He actually made the blind to see again. The paralytic to walk again. He was able to make an absolute change. And so there were great multitudes. Why? Because this man validated what he said. 
He was able to put power behind his claims. And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there was a leper and worshipped him. Unconditional act on the part of this leper. The leper didn't know whether he was going to heal him or not. In fact, the leopard kind of left it to the fact that if it's your will, you can make me whole. He didn't question his power to make him whole. He only questioned his will to make it whole. And, and, and that's really the way that we stand as human beings. If your will lines up with my will, then there's no question as far as the ability to actually perform the miracle. Why the leper first? In the New Testament, this leper is the first miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ performs. In the New Testament, if you look through it, this is the first. But after I get done with the Sermon on the Mount, I feel like a leper. Don't you? I, I mean, I hope that uh, maybe there's some people in here, oh, bless your souls, but, but after I get done with the Sermon on the Mount, I feel just like the filthiness of a leper. Because I'm so far from the absolute standard of God. Because that, that's what it is. It's, it's looking at it from God's standard. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Looking at it from God's standard. And it doesn't dummy down the law. It amplifies it. And so when I walk away from that, when I walk away from that teaching, I say, Lord, work on me. We are his workmanship. You bet. And he's still working on me. Because I'm a long way from that. I feel as dirty as a leper. And so here's a leper. His first miracle. The rabbis would say that if you had leprosy, it it was a death warrant. You were the walking dead is what you were. Essentially, you were the walking dead. And, And actually, you smelled like the dead too. Leprosy stinks terrible. It would be akin to going into a tomb where a person's body was laid and after a certain amount of days, the decay had already taken place in that body. That's the smell you smell. Why? Because a leper was already decaying while he stood alive. Leprosy is healed. It's never cleansed in the Bible. I mean, it's, 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 excuse me, it's cleansed, it's never healed. Backwards. We have all these healings. He takes the blind and he makes them see again. Those who could not walk, he, he brings them up. Those are all healings. But when it comes to leprosy, there's a cleansing. Because it is an absolute unquestioned from the first page of the scriptures all the way through. It tells us of sin and sin's awful effect. Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, it talks about the priest and, 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 and how the priest was going to deal with leprosy. And you might think to yourself, well, that priest then has the, has the, uh, the option of, of making this person well again. No, no, no. He's just simply an observer is all he is. The priest had no power. They would only look to the sovereign God for that power. The sovereign God was the only one who, who could make a change under those conditions, leprosy, you see. 
And so the priest would have to analyze as to whether that change had ever been made before. And he, it was very, it's very arduous through the 13th and 14th chapter as far as what had to go on in order for that priest to actually deem that person clean or deem that person unclean and banished from society, including his wife and his children. He would be put out of society completely. To the point where you would not be able to walk within two or three hundred feet of this person. And depending on the, the, the wind, if the wind was blowing towards and with you, you'd have to be even further away from this individual. Uh, the rabbis, if they saw a leper and, and they realized that that was a leper and he may be uh, 200 yards away or whatever, and they say, stop there, cover your mouth and cry unclean. And, and then what they would do is if that leper continued to come closer and closer, they would take stones and they would begin to stone him to get him away. It said that if, if, if a rabbi were to know that a leper ate at a certain place, he'd never eat there again the rest of his life. That's the reaction of men. Why? Because they're impotent. They're impotent, you see. They have no power to change the circumstances. All they can do is make sure that the infection never enters themselves. They're impotent. The Lord Jesus Christ reaches over and touches him to the absolute horror of anyone that was around. The whole multitude, thousands of people. From There would probably be people far enough away that they didn't even know what was going on up there. That's how far away they were. But the people that were immediate as the Lord reached down and touched him. The rabbi stoned him. The Lord touched him, you see. Why? Because he has the power to change things. We have no power. We're impotent. We're powerless to change the circumstances of even someone who had a mild disease, much less something as grotesque as this one who walked as a man dead. And that's what leprosy pictures. The walking dead. Luke tells us that... Uh, Mark tells us that he, he, he was moved with compassion when he saw the, the leper. He, he was moved with compassion. Uh, all we can do is get out of the way. Get Get as far from this person. He was moved with compassion. How this leper ever made his way up to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was so much attention. There was so much clamoring around the Lord. Moving, clamoring, going crazy. Every They didn't even recognize that there was this one crawling up uh, underneath his feet. And, and after they found out he was a leper, I'm sure they were absolutely horrified by the whole thing. Luke also tells us that it was in the latter stages of leprosy. So this man's fingers were probably already completely gnawed down, completely gone. His nose was probably just cartilage and bone. He looked grotesque. 
And the Lord reached down and touched him. And the instant he touched him, he could not be defiled because the instant he touched him with the the power of his hand, he was cleansed. The leper was made whole again. What a Lord we have. Oh, you see, if we take the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and we reject it, then, then, then we fall into our own condemnation. You say, how could God condemn someone to hell? God doesn't condemn anyone to hell. We condemn ourselves to hell when we are offered the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ died in my place. He bore my burden at Calvary's cross. When we take that and we throw it off. Oh, you see. We condemn ourselves. We condemn ourselves. Verse 4 says, tell tell no man. Well, in, in the book of Mark, it says that he just went out and he broadcasted. How could you not tell anyone. The, the only way that he could have pulled that off is if he would have remained down there on the ground and hid all his now perfect features because what, what probably happened was his fingers were, were eaten completely down. And the reason why is because uh, it, it, we don't call it leprosy anymore. We call it Hansen's disease. It sounds a little bit nicer. It's the same thing, by the way. And it was because Hansen, apparently this doctor had, had found the actual uh, Virus that was that was responsible for this terrible thing, and so we call it Hansen's disease. But it's the same thing. What happens is uh, your your fingers just completely rot off because you have no senses anymore. You can't feel pain anymore. And so the the fact that we feel pain, we say, "Well, that's a terrible thing." Man, I got I feel pain. I, I bounce my hand on here, and oh man, thank God for that pain. That's what keeps you together. Because if you don't have any pain, you fall apart quickly. You just start tearing yourself up. Just like sin. We become desensitized to it. Oh, oh, the first time we commit that sin, we say, oh man, oh, that's terrible. You know, I I really shouldn't have somewhat of a conscience about it. Even the unsaved, there's somewhat of a conscience about it. But as you continue in it, over and over and over again, it, you become desensitized completely to its effect. And suddenly, you're just living in it, and it starts to eat you alive. Part by part, finger by finger, toe by toe, nose, ears, every appendage begins to rot on your body as you stand. We're, 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 the, we're the, the walking dead. That's exactly what we are. And that's why the Bible makes it very clear that that if we're to be uh, 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 truly brought back to God, we must be what? Born again. That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So, I am crucified with Christ. I died right there. I died right there. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth 
in me. And that's a life that doesn't just stand for time, T-I-M-E. It stands now for eternity because that's where the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's in an eternal state. You enter that eternal state by entering into a life intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. As you go, you walk in eternity because He walks in eternity, because His Father walks in eternity, because the Holy Spirit walks in eternity. You become what God had intended you to be, eternal. But when we say no, we're dead while we stand. We bring about ourselves on our own heads, our own condemnation. God does not have to condemn us. We have condemned ourselves by our rebellion against the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go to the priest, he said. Go, you go to the priest. I, don't, don't go men. Don't, don't go to men. I, I want you to go to the priest. Because what they're going to do is the priests are going to get out a chapter in the Old Testament, a couple chapters in the Old Testament that they have not pulled out ever. It, it's how to, to, to analyze an individual and determine whether they've really turned clean or not. He had leprosy. Now he says he does not have leprosy. Let's go get the book. Well, we're going to have to review this. Why? Because they've never used it before. They've never used it. They've never used the standards given in chapter 13 and 14 of Leviticus because no one had ever been cleansed. You were as well as dead. No, don't tell anyone. I want you to go to the priest. I want you, I want the priest to see why. Because those priests are going to know that this individual, he's, he's got to be the Messiah. There's no question. This has to be the Messiah. No one cleanses a leopard. Nobody cleanses. It's the first miracle now in the, in the New Testament. Cleansing of a leopard. No one does that except the Messiah himself. We know, we know that, that there, there are, there's scripture after scripture in the, in the, uh, in, in the Old Testament. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 35 real quickly. Just real quickly. And you're going to see the earmarks. Of the Messiah. What is he able to do? Well, here's what it says. Verse 5 of chapter 35 of Isaiah says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then shall the lame man leap as a heart or as a, as a deer leaps, uh, just happy to walk where he's never walked before, and the tongue of the dumb, dumb will sing in the wilderness shall waters break forth and streams in the desert. Streams in the desert. Now, are we going to experience a physical manifestation of the kingdom of God? They would know that this is the, this has got to be the Messiah. This is exactly what is prophesied. There's other places as well. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Uh, right, uh, 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 Isaiah chapter 61. All of these prophesy that these are the earmarks of the Messiah. You go to the priest. He'll know what, you're, he'll, he'll know what he's seeing. Because that priest looks at that person and, and they know... It, it, he didn't even have fingers before. He had no nose. While he stood there with the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Lord Jesus Christ reached down to heal him, I tell you what, his fingers, pop, 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 they popped out just like that. Boom. His nose, boom, popped out, man. It, right in front of their face, they see flesh coming back again, being restored again. And so when they went to the priest, the priest must have thought, Oh, boy. 
And I'm sure that they had to, they had to get validation that this individual was who they, they thought he was. And they did get validation. This is the earmarks of the Messiah. The scent of God. And they couldn't deny it. They absolutely could not deny it. And then, number two miracle. I want you to notice something about these miracles. Number one miracle. It was on leprosy. Leprosy was an absolute defilement. It was, it was, it was a, a command to be outcast from the community, society, your wife, your children, you were to be outcast forever. There was never any coming back because no one was ever healed other than Naaman in the Old Testament. No one was ever healed from leprosy. And so you are completely outcast. That's the first individual that the Lord shows his power on. Number two, a centurion servant. A centurion that means he was a Roman soldier, head over about a hundred different soldiers, a hundred different soldiers underneath him. And so here was his servant. Now, the Greek makes it very clear that the servant wasn't some old servant that this guy had actually just fallen in love with because he was so obedient to every command he ever gave. It was actually probably the child of an obedient servant. It was a child is what it was. And here was the centurion pleading the cause of a child servant. A child servant in that economy was considered a throwaway. If they died, go get another. You see, what, what the Word of God is doing is trying to uh, you know, make, make us understand that here was a centurion, a, a Gentile, and, and he had more concern for other people than many who would claim themselves spiritual. You see, he loved this child of his servant. And again, it says this in saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home of palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, listen, he said, I'll go. I'll go to him. Can you imagine? You have all these people. You have this leper who crawls up and, and, and he could, the Lord could have said, Oh, you nasty defilement. You're defiling me. Do you understand what you're doing? Get out of my presence. No, he goes a little closer and he touches him as only he could. And now the centurion is a, he's a, he's a Gentile. In the minds of a Jewish person, a Gentile was simply a dog. And then on top of that, it wasn't even a Gentile. Maybe the commander of a hundred soldiers. Well, there's some prestige there. No, it's his servant. Not even his servant as an adult servant that served him well. It's the child of his servant. That he is more concerned about. Here's what I wrote in my Bible. It's interesting what came up this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ. 
I have it written right here. Friend of sinners. It almost shocked me when it came out in the worship meeting this morning. Friend of sinners. So there were three parties. There was a leper, an outcast. There was a Gentile who had a servant, again, complete outcast. And then the third is a woman. And the rabbis would always pray, Lord, thank you that you did not make me a woman. Wow. What a pious prayer that made its way only to the ceiling. What an awful view. So three outcasts, those are the three miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to start with as far as manifesting the fact that he had the power to say what he said in chapter 5, 6, and 7. He had the power. I'm going to show you. I don't just say it. You're going to see it. And so he would show it in that way. And so the centurion came and... I am almost positive that if the Lord would have seen that child, it would have been a third touch. But he didn't need to. The centurion said, listen, you're, I, I'm not worthy that you even come under my roof. I, I, I understand the, the discrepancies, the, 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 the division between that of a Jew and, and that of a Gentile. I, I'm not even worthy to come up. And the Lord said this. He said, oh, the Lord marveled, he said. Now, in order to blow the Lord's mind, you've got to do something really good. Because we're talking about an infinite mind here. And so you're going to blow the Lord's mind. You, you better come up with something really good. And, and he did. Because he said, listen, I, 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 have, I, I have complete, utter, absolute trust and faith in you. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And the Lord marveled. The Lord marveled one other time. In Mark 6, 6, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth and, and he went through and there were all these Jews there and he presented himself and they rejected him. Absolutely scorned him and rejected him. And the Bible says the Lord marveled as to their unbelief. So with the Jews, he marveled as to their unbelief. With this Gentile, he marveled as to his belief. Do you see the picture that, that God is painting? He, he is a master artist, and, and each stroke means something. It has something to say to us. Here we have a, 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 a leper who is oh, wretched. We have a Gentile, and we have a woman. And these are the people that the Lord Jesus Christ reaches out to and manifests his great power in healing all three. Then we have the mother-in-law of, of, of Peter. And <clears throat> for those who want to proclaim that, that their first pope was not married, well, I don't know what you're going to do with this. <laughs> you, you're going to have to deal with this. He was definitely married. There's, there's no question about it. In fact, in another portion, in, in another portion of the Word of God, it says that he had great concern for his mother-in-law because she sat, lie in deep fever. This isn't just a 
a little headache or something, you know, working through a headache. No, no, this was real fever. She was at the point of death. Actually, if you look at all three of these individuals, they were all at the point of death. And so he goes to her. And it says he touched her as well. Whenever he could, it was healing by a touch. Whenever he could, it was healing by a touch. You, you heard that song, healing by a touch or a word. It was either of those two, right? And, and in the case of uh, the centurion's servant, it was healed by a word. It would have been a touch. I'm almost convinced of that. But it was healing by a word. But in the other two cases, where he could make a personal touch on that individual, he always did that. And then she rose from, the, from, from her near-death experience with this terrible fever. And it wasn't like uh, she rose up and, and she laid down and she said, yeah, yeah, the fever's gone, but man, I get some rest here for a little while. I really went through the grinder. No, she got up and she served right away. Isn't that amazing? She, it, it, the Lord doesn't heal partway. He doesn't say, well, listen, now. Yeah, you, you lay there now and I, you, you better take some rest. Maybe two or three weeks to get back to yourself. Um, no, she got up and she began to serve. That's an apt response, isn't it? Get up and serve. That's the response when, when an individual puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The apt response is, is that of service. It's very, very unlikely that that individual actually put faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ if his response is, okay, now I've got my ticket to go to heaven. I'm good now. I can do what I want on earth. <laughs> I can carry on life the way I want to go. Because what they're basically saying is, uh, not, not your will be done, God, Father, but my will be done. You see, that's not an apt response. The apt response is to get up and serve, and that's exactly what we need to do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be in, in the mode of service. And then I want you to see verse, verse 17. So we had the three examples, and then verse 17, it's the explanation of his healing. Now, I, I want you to see this because um, I, I see these faith healers on TV, you know, and they're, they're up there and they're parading around, and they got their, you know, they're, and, and they're, they're touching people on the forehead, and the person's falling backwards, and people catch them. This whole big, stupid scene, and, 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 and they're just parading around like a peacock, you know? Oh, man, look at me! This is, what, this is what the response is for the Lord Jesus Christ when he healed. Now watch this. Verse 17 of, of chapter number 8. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Oh, when the, when the lady that came and she worked her way through the crowd and she had that issue of blood, remember that? She had that issue of blood. She made her way through the crowd and finally she reached out. She touched the hem of his garment. And, and the Bible says, the Lord stopped. And he said, someone touched me. <laughs> the disciples said, what do you mean? There's people crowding around you. There's multitudes crowding around you. No, I felt virtue pass from me. That's what it says. Virtue. Virtue means power to do. Power to do. He has the ability to change things. And he felt that change pass from him, even though all she touched wasn't even his physical being. It was the hem of his garment. Virtue passed from him. Power passed from him. Why? Because he took our infirmities. 
and bear our sicknesses. Each person he healed was one step closer to the cross. It costs him something. It cost him something. These healers, it doesn't cost them. Well, it doesn't cost them anything. They, they end up a millionaire out of the deal. It cost the Lord something. Those words are explicit. He took. He took. He took your sickness. He took your sickness. He made it his very own. He bare our sorrows. He bare our sins. He bare our sins in his own body on that tree. You see, it cost him something. Your salvation cost him something. It was one step closer to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. One step closer. And of course, that's from Isaiah 53, verse number 4. He bare our sins in his own body on the tree. You can learn all about the Lord. It's just his teaching is just absolutely phenomenal. He, he did oh, he doesn't speak as a, a scribe or a Pharisee. He speaks as one having authority. This this man he stands apart in his teaching. But where he was going on that first journey when he came to this earth was to a cross, and that speaks volumes, folks. He bare our sins in his own body on that tree. He doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves to hell. If we take such a beautiful message of grace and mercy and trash it and substitute for it our will, my will be done, we condemn ourselves. We condemn ourselves. All oh, that we realize that, that, that the love of the Lord Jesus Christ poured out in these miracles. He didn't tell that leper to get out of here or pick up a stone and start clobbering him with a stone. He loved people. He has compassion for people. That's exactly what the word of He had compassion for the leper. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And, and when we accept that grace, then, then we begin to grow in that grace. And, and, and we begin to be able to get along one with the other. You know, sometimes you say, why do people, why do people always fight and, and, and complain and bicker and, and they have all these problems? Because one of the two parties is not growing in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're not growing in the grace. They've completely abandoned that process. Oh, I've taken him as my Savior. I accept him, the grace that he offered, the, the, the fact that he bled and died, he's my redeemer, I take that, but I'll not relinquish my will. And therefore this process of, of not only uh, being saved by grace, but growing in the grace impedes us all along in our livelihoods. 
And we can't walk in the way that God had intended us to walk. Colossians chapter 2, really quickly, just a quick, quick. This has been brought to our attention very recently, and I just bring it uh, one more time and I'll read it, and then we'll close in a word of prayer. Uh, if I can find Colossians chapter 2. And it says this, uh, chapter 2 and verse 6, starting in verse verse number 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did we receive Him? By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. How do we walk in Him? By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. Exactly the same way. Don't, don't, don't accept him and, and say, okay, I, I, I have no part in this. This is holy, uh, s- sanctified ground, this, this ground of salvation. I have no part in this. I accept him completely, absolutely, unequivocally. I accept the work that he's done on my behalf. But now, Lord, let me run my own show. That's, that's not what the Bible says. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I want you to meditate on that verse. I want you to take that verse home and you meditate on that verse. Because oftentimes we take him by faith, we, we, we take him by faith and grace as far as our salvation is concerned, and then we try to put on our own little walking shoes that have our names on them, and we say, okay, Lord, now step aside, I'll take it from here. And you know what? We fall on our face. We completely fall all over ourselves, making a complete fool of ourselves, because it was never designed to be that way. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's not saying, oh, I'm just part of this. I'm I'm just a little piece of that. Uh, I I do the salvation part. I do the redemption part. You're on your own for the rest. No. In him dwelleth all the fullness. So it's all by grace through faith as we walk and manifest the love of God in our hearts and be true ambassadors with the kingdom already in us already in us it's, it's here we're carrying out the kingdom oh, there'll be a physical kingdom don't get me wrong <laughs> there's going to be a physical kingdom the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back the second time he's going to set up that kingdom there's no question about that but right now we have it right within our hearts let's pray our God and our Heavenly Father we are so thankful for the power displayed the power that manifests, the power that shows us that his words were truly the, the, the words of the Son of God. The Son of God. He wasn't speaking forth as, as only the Son of Man. He was speaking forth as the Son of Man and the Son of God with authority. And our Father, these, these miracles, one after the other, manifest that this is truly the scent of God. We bow the knee... To the Lord of glory. He is our King. He is our Messiah. We give him thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.